This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. Hillary Clinton yesterday warned that Donald Trump could use the IRS as a weapon because he's dangerous. I heard that and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Really? Huh? Like we haven't seen somebody just do that recently. Uh, yeah, we'll get into that if I if I if I have the fuse to be able to speak about that long enough without exploding. Um, I also want to tell you about. Um, A study that has come out from Harvard that shows that there is no racial bias in police shootings. Now, this sounds crazy, but once you read the full story, once you know what the poll actually says, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. And it is not about these. What's happening in our country is not really about the shootings. That's just the straw that's breaking the camel's back. And in the uh, new book, Liars, How Progressives Exploit Our Fears for Power and Control, I outline a a three-phase movement uh, to take over the United States of America. Guess guess which phase we're in right now. Or I want to talk to you a little bit about the days of rage. And we'll, we'll begin there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program. So glad that you're here. Stuart Chase, the guy who, um, he was a massive Fabian socialist, and he's the guy who came up with the term the New Deal. Uh, big advisor to FDR and a very big progressive. Um, he wrote in his book in 1941 or 43, The Road Which We Are Traveling, which was the name of Barack Obama's little documentary film as he was getting uh, reelected. The Road Which We Are Traveling um, outlines what we are or what we're becoming. And he said, we're no longer a constitutional government. And fascism and communism don't work. So we're just going to have to be, we're just going to call it political institution X. We don't have a name for it yet, but here's where we're headed. And he talked about all the things that uh, we needed to do, or that we needed to know that now that these wheels are turning, you'll never be able to avoid political 
system X. And they involved taking over uh, and infiltrating the media and uh, education and uh, having taxes going off the gold standard, etc., etc. He said, you'll never go back to capitalism the way you understand it. I just want to give you the three phases of revolution in the United States. And you tell me where we are. Here's phase one, infiltration. Organize groups for control. Instead of focusing on individual rights and freedoms, focus on organizing people uh, in ways that set them apart. Sanger organized around birth control. Wheeler organized around temperance, labor groups, organized workers, and so on. It's all about community organizing. Step one. Step two, infiltrate. Step three, weaken the social fabric. Step four, this is still phase one. Step four, confuse the concept of right versus wrong. Step five, bring society to the state of near crisis. Have we done all those things? Is that, are we... Are we past phase one, or at least at the end of phase one? Yes. All right. Remember, it's a three-phase plan hatched by the progressives in the 1940s. It's a page 265 of the new book, Liars, that is coming out. All right. So now let's look at phase two. Allow chaos. Chaos is an essential ingredient in the eventual rise of a new order. Progressives and authoritarians of all stripes understand this. It's why Occupy Wall Street was a movement that was allowed to disrupt American cities for so long. It's why the violence that breaks out at Trump rallies uh, of the supposed uh, leaders offers to personally pay uh, perpetrators legal fees. Chaos is becoming part of our society and hope is that very soon we will rise up and call out for law and order. Phase Phase two, step two, enforce negative stereotypes. We haven't seen that anywhere. Mm. Have we all Wall Street and all bankers are evil? All white people are evil? All cops are evil? All cops are evil. Isolate, destroy, and discourage the truth. The narrative is, um, if you attempt to question, you must be stopped. That's why those who attempt to explain their strategy are mocked, ridiculed, and condemned. Encourage reckless habits. Have we done that yet? Oh, yeah. And the last one is remain in the shadows. Are we, have we done, have we done all these? Allow chaos, enforce negative stereotypes, isolate, destroy, discourage the truth. Encourage reckless habits and remain in the shadows? Yeah, I mm-hmm. think so, yeah. Okay. Out of a three-phase plan to take over the United States, two phases finished. Phase three, the political system. We know what the political system is, Stuart Chase writes. It's System X, and it's authoritarian, but it's not communist, it's not fascist. He said... Grab control for protection. This is the moment when progressives make their move out in the open. 
when their reckless behavior that progressives have encouraged and the chaos that they have sown becomes overwhelming. And they will arrive like the Calvary at the end of a Western movie to save the day. But their, their, price, their uh, safety will come at a heavy price. They will propose System X as the only way out of the mess. Top down, bottom up, inside out. They've encouraged, we said just yesterday, the president is the first, the shot heard around the world was him saying the police acted stupidly. That's where all of this began. And it's just been event after event after event. And what is he proposing now? A federalized police force. Wait, the problem is is that our cops don't know the neighborhoods and the neighborhoods don't know our cops. That's one of the biggest problems. Now you want to bring in the Fed? Two, activate a shadow system. The unveiling of the progressives who have been infiltrating government since the beginning. It won't be the same with all individuals. Um, uh, Let's see. But now is their moment of triumph and they'll be able to show their true colors. Next, liquidate those who oppose or uh, allies that have served their purpose. So this, this one is actually talking about um, because Stuart Chase admired Soviet Russia and what Stalin did to those who opposed him. He just killed millions of people. I'd like to look at this as silence your, your, um, uh, your adversaries, but I think they really, too, believe in liquidate. And the last one is remain in a crisis mode. We're halfway through the third phase. This is why character matters. This is why the debates nobody's paying attention to. That's why nobody's paying attention to these two um, candidates. They're inauthentic. And we are, we, we all know that we didn't have this problem like we did, like we do now, eight years ago. We all know the shot around the world was the police acted stupidly. But that's dividing us into groups. To back that point up, in 2000, right after Obama's uh, inaugurated, the uh, proportion of Americans who believe race relations are generally good was uh, in the mid-60s, about 68%. Uh, Right now, uh, you're at just a tad over 40%. Um, with blacks, it's about 30. I mean, it's, you know, this post-racial president has brought back every level of racial animus that has existed for decades uh, when it seemed like it was going away finally. Yes. Okay, so now let's go to what are we shooting our police for? What, what, what is everybody upset about? Unfair justice, unequal treatment. Police uh, act stupidly against black people, against people of color. They're upset about something that 
isn't going on in a right. system systemic uh, fashion. Something that isn't it's institutionalized. Not it's, it's not going in on. In fact, it's well the the, the uh, killing of black people across the country. Okay. That's not what being I would slaughtered in the streets. Right. That's what I would think, and it's not. Harvard study shows for ten years. A Harvard study study shows they studied several departments. The police are actually more likely to kill a white man yeah. than a black man. Here's the difference. Now, I've heard that study here yesterday on Dana's show, and I thought to myself, that can't be right. So we looked it up. It is right. However, that's only half the story. Um, the most extreme use of force, officers involved shoot in shootings. We find no racial differences in either the raw data or the contextual factors when they are taken into account. At the same time, a study found that blacks and Hispanics were more than 50% more likely to, uh, to experience physical interactions with the police, including touching, pushing, handcuffing, drawing a weapon, and use a battalion or pepper spray. So do you, do you see what's happening? It's not about the shooting. It's about that our cops generally are more physical and they'll just push them up against the wall by 50% more. Now, let me give you a real-life example. This is uh, from a uh, blogger. When suddenly no lives matter. And this woman is, her name is uh, Sandy. I can't remember doesn't matter. Sandy, she said, over two and a half years ago, right, was, right before I was about to be married, I was asked a question. She's white from Salt Lake City. Are you prepared for what you and your family will experience as how's your, how you're marrying a black man? Being a white girl raised in Utah, I was offended. The man made sure that you were aware of these things um, because it's going to be different than what you're expecting. That's what he said. Things are going to be harder. I explained I was fine and that things were going to be great. Well, two and a half years later, our son is now five and our youngest is two. And the woman who I often uh, now look at, I look back to that day and I wish I would have understood what he was saying. I wish I would have understood that my husband would be pulled out of his car and handcuffed, placed face down on the ground and arrested while I watched his helpless face all because he had a recently expired tag on his car. I wish I would have known that people would accuse my husband of kidnapping our oldest son because he's white, simultaneously praising me for being a saint who graciously adopted a little black kid. So dad's with the white kid in the car, and dad is in trouble. Mom, on the other hand, goes out grocery shopping with little black kid, And everybody says, oh my gosh, you're so brave. The world is full of people, she says. It's not full of police officers, doctors, teachers, Asians, uh, Hispanics, males or females. Our earth is simply filled with people. People who fortunately and unfortunately have in the same medical opportunity 
to decide how they're going to live their lives. It's full of people who make their decisions, whether they're good or bad. It's full of people that are affected by the decisions, um, uh, whether those decisions are good or bad. It's so easy to get caught up in the idea that the problem is us versus them, when in reality, the problem is simple. It is good versus evil, and it always has. People don't come out of the womb hating their neighbor. You're carefully taught and learned. Hate comes from the inside. In the end, it lingers. And hate pushes you to find revenge, which you feel so unjust and unfair about. Equality is something that we can only hope for in a perfect world, that it would exist, but the reality that, um, that, do- that it doesn't know, the sad truth, is it's probably going to be with us forever. If we don't wake up to the fact that it's not police officers, it's not doctors, it's not lawyers, it's not Republicans versus progressives, but it is a human condition. If we don't look at the actual stats, and that's why I said we have to start listening, they're really not protesting against the cops shooting them. They're protesting against the harassment of the cops by the cops, which this study shows whites are more likely to get killed by black police officers when presented with the same situation. They're more likely to pull the trigger on a white man. So what's everybody complaining about? Their experiences would teach people that, yeah, you don't want to mess with the cops. They're brutes. They rough you up, throw you against the wall, make you lay down on the sidewalk with your hands behind your back and treat you like a criminal, even though you're with your own baby. That's what they're protesting about. I mean, it's interesting. That is what the study says. But, I mean, you think that's actually, I mean, we could go through some of these numbers, but it's like some of them are so infinitesimal. For example, the rate of 10,000 people that are pepper sprayed by police is five for black people and four for whites. No, no, no. It's not pepper spray. It's not They had a whole category. We showed all the stats. Well, let's look at it. It's pushing up against the wall. Using hands was one of them. The number I saw was, I think, 17%. The number was extremely close between blacks and whites. It was was the increase, though. And 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 in the murder category, where they've been killed, there was no difference. It was actually slightly Let me tell you about American financing. American financing, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. How can a financing company survive a crash like the housing crash of 2008? By doing what American financing did offer qualified customers a mortgage they can afford. Stay true to your values. Treat each customer the way they deserve to be treated. With the housing economy, when it collapsed in 2008, American financing survived and then thrived because they're they're customer service people. They work for you to find the best rate for you. They're not salary-based. They're specializing in finding solutions for you, not counting commissions. Getting the best mortgage for you can save you hundreds of uh, dollars every single month, even up to $1,000. And American Financing will be uh, the people that will find the right mortgage 
and make the process painless. Just 10 minutes to qualify and less than 10 days to close. Call 866-750-6551, 866-750-6551, or go to AmericanFinancing.net. America's home for home loans is AmericanFinancing.net. The Glenn Beck Program. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck program. I want to make it clear. I am not suggesting that um, uh, black people are protesting because they're pushed around more in this study. It shows that police officers are more likely to shoot a white guy than a black guy, but they're more likely to hassle a black guy. What I'm saying is black people have received this hassling And it has gotten much better in the last 30 years than it was before. But they have a history of being hassled. And so when they see somebody being shot, a a cop killing a black person, they just assume that the system is lying to them when they say, no, actually, white people have more are more likely to be shot and killed by police officers than African-Americans. They just assume that's a lie because you haven't lived my life. I'm harassed all the time. It's a lie. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. is the Glenn Beck program. We're just you know this this new Harvard study that was done by a black professor um, shows that I think it's over a 10-year study study he studied police departments all over the country and police officers and they are more likely with the same set of circumstances they are more likely to shoot a white guy mm. than they are a black guy. Which he was stunned by he right. said that was one of the most surprising findings in his life. Okay. So then he went on and he said, however, it is a statistical difference and a significant statistical difference, although the numbers are, it's not like, you know, 50% to 10%, but it's, it's, a, it's a significant number, um, but not enough to explain this whole thing. They're more forceful with blacks and Hispanics. White people are not, generally speaking, not, they're not as physical. The police are not coming up to you and, and pushing you around, patting you down, telling you to get on the ground, drawing their gun against you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Now, again, it's not a huge swing. To give you, pushing into wall, for example, is one of the categories in this. In every every 10,000 incidents, 529 white people were pushed into a wall, 623 black people were. It's an 18% difference. Okay. Statistically significant difference. But not enough to account for this. Okay? By itself. Right. Not enough. I would agree. Especially when, because... You're, but you have enough to say, wait a minute, hang on just a second. There's two things here that don't make sense. It's the shooting of the black man that you're seeing that is, uh, oh, I forgot another one. Uh, the, the shooting of the black man that we're seeing uh, that is causing all these riots, okay? And and so we're 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 having this debate that, well, cops are racist. Well, no, 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 no. Studies show that's not true. So we have to add in the, um, in the we have the 18% of being a little more physical. Okay, 18% of the time, a little more physical. You add that. Then you add what we talked about a couple of um, weeks ago, the DNA coding of all of us, this is not a black issue, this is all people. If your mother was raped or had some horrible traumatic experience, it's actually encoded on the sheathing of your DNA and can be passed to you. Now, it has to be a dramatic, tragic experience, and it can lead in you to an irrational fear that you don't understand. But it's because your mother or your father had a horrible experience and it was so, the fear was so overwhelming that it imprinted on their DNA. And so it can be passed to generate that future generations. And they're like, I don't, it's not all races. This is not black, all races. Um, And so you have this, you're like, I don't know why I'm afraid of whatever. I don't know. Something happened to all of our ancestors with clowns, I'm telling you. <laughs> I don't know why I'm afraid of clowns, but I'm really afraid of clowns, okay? That's the kind of irrational fear that you get. Now, imagine, if that's true, and it looks like it is, if that's true, imagine the, the DNA coding for slavery, reconstruction, um, the Klan, the lynchings, the voting booth, uh, the, the civil rights movement, all of that, the breaking up of families, the institutional racism of the Democratic Party with, you know, progressivism, right. so all we, of that. We think about the times uh, that we say, well, look, we didn't, our families didn't own slaves. Right. We had nothing to do with it. But really, uh, with the DNA coding... That's still affected. Yeah, you did. It doesn't matter. Right. Because we say, well, it didn't happen to you. You're not a slave. That happened 150 years ago. Yes. Which is true. But if the DNA coding is there, and I'm not suggesting, I want to make this really clear. I am not suggesting reparations or anything like that. And I'm not even talking now about uh, saying, hey, I'm really sorry for that. I'm not even talking about that. I'm saying let's understand what's happening. So you have the DNA coding. Then you also have a culture, partly because of the DNA coding, partly because of the reality of the past. Remember, I mean, 
Falma, she's one of our spiritual people that you know work with us and one of our prayer warriors here. She's 70, 70 years old, something like that, 71. Black woman, grew up here in Dallas. She's told me hair-raising stories of the cops. Hair-raising stories from Martin Luther King's time. Remember Hutch? Yeah. Hair-raising stuff. So that generation that's just about to die out, they remember what it was like with Jim Crow laws. Well, that was right. some of the parents that you talked to the other day on the TV show, right? These young kids haven't didn't, they didn't uh, go grow up with what it. we did. Right. And so and that's exactly what they said last yeah. night. They didn't grow up with what we did. However, I can guarantee you that many have raised their children or their grandchildren with just some suspicion of police because you can't really trust them. You don't know. Their generation sure. didn't understand it that way. Okay? And so they're not, every generation is different, and they're carrying the baggage from their childhood. So a cultural thing where either from DNA coding or from real experiences or just a cultural experience of don't trust the cops. Then the crime stats. The crime stats show that African Americans commit more crimes per capita, right? It's not that they commit more crimes, it's just they commit more crimes per capita, is that right, Stu? It depends on, you know, what statistics you're looking at. But, uh, I mean, you know, that, that is shown in many of the statistics. Okay. I don't think that that's as that's, important as, as more exposure to bad situations. Right, like I, I always tend because to Because of where people live. And that's where you think, live, yeah. Right, I tend to think that, that what you have on the board here is number four, which is the, essentially the location of your residence. There's a higher crime rate in, yeah, in Dallas right. than there is I don't, in the burbs. I don't see the cops in my neighborhood do anything but stop people and mainly Pat for speeding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's so true. That's all I see. And, and the cops coming to my house or a neighbor's house because somebody's been robbed, and so they're protecting them. Right. Yeah. I don't see them putting somebody on the ground and saying, spread eagle. I don't, I don't see that. I don't see the cops ever in my neighborhood drawing their guns. It just doesn't happen. But if you live in some of the really bad areas of Chicago, you see that all the time. Yeah, there's a high, and there's a high violence rate. Again, it's a very chicken and egg situation. But like when you're a cop, you're going into a situation where you know the violence rate is much higher. You're going to be more... Uh, Hypervigilant. Yeah, you're going to be more vigilant. You're going to be more on alert. You're going to be more... You're going to have a higher tendency of pulling a weapon in a situation because you're... It's not only that. You are just seeing the cops. Even if it's never happened to you, you're just seeing the cops be very aggressive because they're bad guys in your neighborhood. So you're seeing the cops as a much more strong-arm group of people than I am. Because they're, they're not doing that to people in my neighborhood, all right? So you have DNA coding, cultural, crime stats, more exposure to bad situations with the police, just seeing it, not necessarily happening to them because of location, location, location. And then the fifth one, media. The way media is, is spinning this. Oh, I haven't, I haven't. <laughs> Number six, politicians. Yeah, man, I, I tend to believe five and six are the biggest part of this. Yeah, I mean, they're exploiting it. Constantly telling you how bad how bad it is, are and how bad these guys are, with the very rare exception of they might be at a funeral covering something of a fallen police officer, and you get a little bit of what the police do. But it's con- it's a constant drumbeat of saying how 
these people are targeting African Americans. So there was this 10-year-old kid when I lived in Philadelphia. And I remember um, my wife saying, um, she's, she was doing you know, a women's, or I mean a uh, girls group and uh, young women's uh, stuff on, during the week. And she would have these kids from the inner city that would come in and she would say, the culture is so different. And she'd say, I'm going, now this is when we first moved there and I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know where she was in Philadelphia. And she said, I'm, we're going into these bad neighborhoods. Man, well, a month or two into it, I go with her into these bad neighborhoods and I'm like, you're not going here at night ever. You're never going here at night. She's like, no, Glenn, the kids need us. Year later, it's 10 Ten-year-old kid, maybe 11, I think younger, but let's just say 10. And um, he's this black kid in this all-white church in the whitest suburbia place you can. Now, we live right on the border of Philadelphia at the time. And, but I, li- I mean, literally, because of the tax situation, Whites live on one side of the street. Blacks live on the other side of the street because one is one is Philadelphia and the other is not Philadelphia, and it grows to crime rate quickly in Philadelphia. Like the the, the city just falls apart fast within what eight blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid had taken the bus from his place in the worst section of Philadelphia. And like taken several buses to just get to our church. Now our church, it could have been any church. Any church. He just happened to be driving by in a car one day and saw this church in suburbia that he had never seen before. He had never seen grass like that before that was mowed. He had never seen anything like it. And it seemed like utopia to him. And so on Sundays, he would take the bus just not for even the spiritual food. He just went to be around something sane and something nice. It was crazy. I didn't know that. One of the guys in church said, hey, Glenn, can you, can you take him home? I said, sure. I didn't know where he lived or anything. I put it in my GPS. I'm completely ignorant to Philadelphia. I said, sure. I get in the car, and he had never seen a GPS system before. He had never, I mean, he had never really been in a nice car before. And I'm taking him down into inner city Philadelphia. And we're driving, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be killed for kidnapping this kid. And he's showing to me, I mean, I mean, we're going place where it's like Needle Park Central. It's an, it's honestly, it's a broken down building with grass growing through it. And he says, that's my playground. That's where I play during the day. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. We get home. His father and his brother or uncle are in a van out front, smoke billowing out. They're high as a kite. I go, I go up to the door and, and knock on the door so he's going to go in. I said, I just want to, you know, tell your family that you're home. I'd like to meet your 
mom? And he's like, no, it's my grandma. So I meet a grandma. She opens up the door, poverty and just craziness. Grandma's raising this kid. Um, and then the, the, the brother and the uncle get out, or the dad and the uncle get out of the car and kind of like, so what are you doing here? And I'm like, nothing, just leaving, just bringing leaving. Bad. All the way home, I cried for this kid. All the way home. There is no way this kid survives. There's no way out for this kid. No way out. All he wanted to do was just have rest from his situation. We don't see these things. We don't see these things. And it doesn't excuse anything. But we're speaking two different languages. Now this. If you're thinking about buying your first gun, do your homework and then go out and buy it. Make sure you have the self-protection that you and your family needs. And you need to fire guns. It's, uh, you know, I fired the first gun that I bought um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't fired it in a while. And I'm like, wow, why did I pick this gun? And then I remembered why I picked that gun. And I wasn't a good shot with it at all. Um, Buying a gun is really, really personal. And you need to find the one that you're the best at. I like something that will just blow giant holes in people. If I could carry a shotgun, I would. Um, But the next best thing is a Bond Arms uh, double barrel, basically shotgun in your pocket. It is a Derringer, a little teeny Derringer with little teeny shotgun shells. You can get it with, what is it, 14 different calibers. You just change the pistol. You just change the barrel on this thing easily. And you can, you can do 14 different calibers for the gun. But they're small. They're compact. My wife can carry it in her purse. We can keep it in the nightstand. Um, and nobody's going to get it past a, a Bond Arms gun. You're just not going to do it. See what Bond Arms has to offer. Made here in Texas, and so they're really high quality blazebond.com go to blazebond.com first time gun buyer now is the time blazebond.com in his new book liars glenn beck takes on some of the most pervasive lies and destroys the false promises of progressivism by taking you through its history get the truth in liars the new book by glenn beck available august 2nd pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars this is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. You know, Jeffy brought up a good point during the break. That what? <laughs> yeah, no, I know he has. Those words have never been spoken before. <laughs> um, that you know, we can't give up on the American dream. That you can get out of a, a situation. You can. It's just right. very, very hard. And you need a parent like you know uh, uh, Ben Carson's or someone, parent, someone a teacher, a teacher, friend, grandparent, somebody. anybody, yeah. somebody saying, "Don't give up, kid. Don't give up." Yeah. This is America. Be, you can. Make. It can be better than this, right. and that's what will motivate you to get out of it. Yeah. Too many people have given up hope, yeah. and once you give up hope, it's over. It's over. This is. 
The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Welcome to the program. The, the day of rage has been declared, and it's tomorrow. We're going to give you the information on that coming up in just a few minutes. Also this week, we've been giving you the details about the most influential progressive donors. They line liberal politicians' pockets so they can implement their extreme agendas. Uh, it, they dwarf the money spent on the uh, Republicans. Today, we're going to concentrate on the Hollywood left, how they have moved our country to the left. And we start there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. One of the refrains of this political season, especially from Bernie Sanders and other Democrats, is there is just too much money in politics. Democrats complain that they just can't keep up with the horrific spending of the evil Republican machine. Democratic donor Tom Steyer summed up the left's feelings. You know, we felt from the beginning that Citizens United was a mistake, that the way that money is used in American campaigns isn't good for democracy. It's just in a situation where we felt as if there's an immense amount of money on the other side. And as long as this is the system which the Supreme Court has put in place, there's got to be somebody on our side. It should be noted that this isn't the system that the Supreme Court put in place. It is the system America's founding fathers put in place in a little document called the United States Constitution. Political donations are an important part of the First Amendment. Tom Steyer also happens to be, by far, the biggest donor of the last election cycle, more than doubling the donations of fellow liberal Michael Bloomberg, who was in a distant second. In fact, Democrats, for more than a decade, nearly always outraise and outspend Republicans. According to the Federal Election Commission, in fundraising so far this year, counting both national parties, committees, and congressional and senatorial committees, Democrats have the edge. In 2014, Democrats outraised Republicans by some $250 million, more than $10 million in 2012, $336 million in 2010, And they were dead even through all of those platforms in 2008. You have to go all the way back to 2004 to find an election where Republicans outraise Democrats. While there are some big money Republicans of the 22 billionaires on OpenSecrets.org, on their list of largest political donors, 60% of them give Democrats and or liberal causes, 13 to 9. But... It is the GOP donors, the Koch brothers, who receive the lion's share of attention, despite being number 59 on the same list. Rarely are Tom Steyer or George Soros even mentioned as huge political players. Then, of course, there's Hollywood. 
as its leading man of donation, Jeffrey Katzenberg, CEO of DreamWorks, of whom President Barack Obama spoke fondly when he spoke at DreamWorks in 2013. I want to thank all of you for being here, and I want to thank your CEO, Jeffrey Katzenberg, for inviting me. Uh, Jeffrey, like Melody, has uh, been a friend uh, and a supporter through uh, thick and thin. And, uh, you know, I think his place in in the entertainment industry is legendary. I I don't need to puff him up too much. He has a a healthy sense of self. Uh, but, uh, But he is a great friend. Uh, and, and somebody who, uh, whose counsel and advice I value. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to be here uh, at this wonderful institution that uh, he helped to build. Obama should consider Katzenberg a great friend. In May of 2012, Katzenberg co-hosted a fundraiser for President Obama at the home of actor George Clooney. The event raised almost $15 million, which would make it the most profitable presidential fundraiser in history. Katzenberg was reportedly the largest bundler of contributions for President Obama's two presidential campaigns. But were Katzenberg's efforts on Obama's behalf purely altruistic? Well, possibly. But the cynical might look at Katzenberg's desire to build DreamWorks movie studios in China, something that would require the help from the Obama administration, as at least interesting. In fact, the deal was fast-tracked by the White House, according to the Sunlight Foundation. DreamWorks never registered to lobby the federal government. For Obama's top campaign bundler, perhaps there was no need. Oriental DreamWorks is scheduled to open in Shanghai next year in a $2.7 billion complex featuring a movie production studio, a series of theaters, cinemas, shopping areas, galleries, hotels, restaurants, and the world's largest IMAX screen. It's no secret that the biggest donors in Hollywood and the entertainment industry in general are nearly all Democrat and progressive. In the 2016 election cycle, Katzenberg and Steven Spielberg are tied at the top of the largest donors list. They are just over $1 million each so far. And all of that money was given to Hillary Clinton and her super PACs. J.J. Abrams is the next at over $500,000, again to Hillary Clinton. Way behind the top three is Hollywood oddball donor Kelsey Grammer, who gave $5,000 to both Ben Carson and Rand Paul. The list from Business Insider that includes Beyonce, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kanye West, all Clinton donors. Danny DeVito gave both to Martin O'Malley and Bernie Sanders. Tom Hanks and Ben Affleck are Clinton donors, as are a bevy of stars who performed at a fundraising concert for Hillary, as ABC's Good Morning America reported. From Elton John. This is a very important year for America, and she's the only hope you have. To Katy Perry. This election feels very personal for me. Julianne Moore and Jamie Foxx. Hillary, get it! A report from the Los Angeles Times last year noted that 90% of all Hollywood donations went to Hillary Clinton. As of October, $5.5 million had been raised, $5 million of which went to Hillary. Jeb Bush was surprisingly second, but at just $165,000, followed by Bernie Sanders at one hundred and thirty-four. dollars 
That has likely changed somewhat in Sanders' favor since then, but the overall theme remains. Hollywood is about the progressive movement. In April, George Clooney hosted a fundraiser for Hillary at $350,000 per couple. Clooney himself deemed the fundraiser ridiculous. Let me start with uh, dinner you co-hosted on Friday night. Uh, big fundraiser I know that you have planned for, for later tonight. Uh, do you look at, uh, at uh, how much is being raised? And I think the co-host of the Friday night dinner, $353,000 uh, a couple to be a co-chair. Do you look at it yourself and think that's an obscene amount of money? Yes, I think it's an obscene amount of money. I think that, you know, we had some protesters last night when we uh, when we pulled up in San Francisco and they're right to protest. They're absolutely right. It is an obscene amount of money. The Sanders campaign, when they talk about it, is absolutely right. It's ridiculous that we should have this kind of money in politics. I agree completely. A strange admission. Clooney readily accepts the hypocrisy of the left. They continually decry the money in politics. Yet they regularly raise more money for politicians than the Republicans. They continue to decry income inequality, yet they charge $350,000 per couple to attend an elitist event for a multi-million dollar candidate that lives a lavish lifestyle far out of the reach of the constituents they claim to care about. Yet, name an A-list Hollywood actor, and you would also have an A-list progressive political fundraiser like Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, I've always been fascinated by, uh, you know, this world that we live in and how destructive we are to it. And uh, as soon as I, you know, really became an actor, that's been, you know, a parallel passion of mine is trying to bring attention to some incredibly important issues. I think that really um, so little goes to protecting our planet. When you think think of all of philanthropy, only 2% of philanthropy and, and giving goes towards the biggest life-sustaining force that we have, and that's our planet. And we're systematically um, polluting it. We're chopping down rainforests, destroying coral reef systems, animals, uh, very unique creatures that have taken hundreds of millions of years mm-hmm. to evolve or becoming extinct. And it's, it's, it's pretty horrific what we're doing. So, you know, I've, 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 I've devoted a lot of time away from acting to not only try to bring attention to it, but to bring much needed funding to a lot of these issues. And so the conundrum for liberals and progressives continues, believing that it is so wrong to raise so much money in politics, and yet raising so much money in politics. Next time, the biggest money in all of political money raising, the largest political givers on planet Earth. Glenn Beck. This is the Glenn Beck program. And now this. And you now this. When you see a problem, you fix it. That's how a lot of great companies got started. Um, you know, they. That's uh, what we did. We saw a system that was broken, and we thought we, we should get away from uh, the corporate overlords and the uh, big money sponsors and find a way to do this without any pressure on us. And we did, thanks to you. Now, for decades, big home security companies are ripping people off. They give you a system for free, but it wasn't for free. You were paying for it in your, you know, $40, $50, or $60 a month fee for the monitoring. They lock you into a long-term contract, and all of a sudden that free becomes a very expensive, locked-in-forever kind of deal. 
and nobody ever wanted to change security systems. You can't because they can't use that old security system. They're going to have to rewire your house with a new one. And then you're caught paying another $40, $50, $60 a month, and you also get the long-term contract. That's why Simply Safe. they saw this problem, and it's actually started at MIT. One of the guys who started it is a, 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 um, an engineer at MIT, and his, his friends' houses were being robbed. And they all lived in apartments because they were all students. And so they couldn't put the security system in because they couldn't do the wiring. And he's like, well, why are we using 1950 technology? I'll come up with something. He came up with this. Well, everybody in the neighborhood started to buy it. And he realized, holy cow, I've just, I've just done something that everybody needs. What's really cool is his grandfather um, is a guy who helped work on the radar systems. I think it's the radar systems uh, during World War II for the United States and invented something that went in all of our tanks that actually helped us win World War II. So this is in their family DNA. Uh, and it's just, it's just a, such a cool company and such a cool story. Simply Safe, this home security system that is in my own daughter's house. Simply Safe Home Security, like having a guard stationed right at your door 24 hours a day. The protection that we trust, simplysafebeck.com. Go there now, get a 10% discount. It is simplysafebeck.com. Take it from 40 or $50 a month to $14 a month and no contract. And you own the system. Sound good? SimplySafeBeck.com. Go there now. Glenn Beck. Listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Program. Welcome to the program. So glad that you are here. Uh, New York Times Magazine asked Donald Trump about the importance of maintaining the Republican Senate. And here's what he said. Well, I'd like them to do that, but I don't mind being a free agent either. <laughs> guy's so clueless. Okay. Good golly. All right. That's good. <laughs> well, that's going to work out for all of those people who say, no, 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 he's... He's a uh, he's he's really a conservative, and it's a Trojan horse, and and uh, he's going to really do all these great conservative things when they get in there, or we can trust him. He doesn't care if they have the Republican Senate. No, he he doesn't. Uh, yeah, doesn't seem like it. I mean, he doesn't know enough about it to care. Yeah, I, I don't think um, it's interesting because as he, you know, Newt Gingrich is obviously one of the guy, people talked about most as his uh, VP. There's some stuff that was released yesterday of a behind-the-scenes speech from him. I think it was in February, where he said, um, uh, he, you know, he first of all was talking about uh, Trump saying that he speaks to voters at the lowest level of any candidate in any party. Um, it said it's not because he's dumb, but because he understands marketing, and, and that's, you know, which, I mean, it's a, probably a fair comment. Um, but he also said, uh, he said, I, this is amazing. This is again in February this year. 
Um, I had a very sophisticated medical doctor in Des Moines write me two days ago and say he sent a $1,000 check to Trump. And I wrote back and said, what are you doing? He said, I have finally concluded that we have to kick over the table in Washington. Um, Gingrich also agreed with what many Republicans during the primary process feared. National Review is right. Donald Trump is not a conservative. This is the plan he might be listing as vice president. He also, he also said uh, or suggested that Trump's move from campaigning mm-hmm. to governing would be challenging. How we make the transition from, you know, language for fourth graders to real policy? Wow. No. And that's, that's all true. Well, that's why Newt Gingrich would be a decent guy, guy to yeah. have. Because, I mean, I don't agree. Newt Gingrich is a progressive. He may be a conservative, but he's a massive, massive progressive. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, look, Newt Gingrich has his positives, um, you know, and a lot of people like him. But his biggest positive is he's essentially able to argue any point, whether he believes oh, yeah. it or not. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he's that. very smart on getting things done, et cetera, et cetera. But I will tell you this, because and part of it is self-inflicted, like me. You know, a lot of people don't like me because of the self-inflicted wounds that I've inflicted on myself. And same thing with Newt Gingrich. Um, but also, just like me. Um, and Rush Limbaugh. People don't listen to him, don't know who he is. He's just a caricature of what the left made him into. If he is the running mate, that is, I believe, the most unliked ticket in American history. Gingers is one of the few people who challenges Trump as far as Yeah, I mean, he is. And, and I think a lot of it is unjust. Yeah. Again, I don't like Gingrich myself. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I mean, he's fine as a man, I'm sure. Um, but I don't like his policies. I don't like, I mean, he is, he's a progressive, clearly a progressive. If you read any of his work, he loves Roosevelt. He loves Theodore uh, Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson. Favorite president, I believe, was, was Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah. And, and we had a conversation about that. I mean, he is a true progressive. Um, uh, but uh, those two together, I can't imagine anybody from the, I, I mean, it's not. It's not going to be hard to make them into an unlikable duo. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's interesting. I was reading some stories about this yesterday. It's the the, the reported uh, facts of the situation are that the family, many of his advisors, want Pence. Um, he wants Christie, and some are still arguing for Gingrich. And one of Sean one, Hannity put him on a jet and flew him out. Yeah, Hannity uh, said he would be disappointed if it wasn't Gingrich. The thing about Gingrich, as some have pointed out is that uh, he is almost as likely to say something controversial as Trump is. And while he would be very good at defending Trump's uh, verbal kind of, you know, offshoots, uh, it might not be particularly uh, successful the other way around. Where if Gingrich says something controversial, is Trump going to actually be all in to defend no, and, it? And, and Gingrich, and, I think, would upstage Trump in, in Washington. In Washington. Sure, sure. That's another concern. So, and Trump doesn't want that. You can't that. have that. Uh-uh. Listen, Chris, if, he, if he wants Christie, I mean, look, I, you know, we've obviously been critical of Trump on the show, but the guy uh, if it's has true, made his own decisions. Wants, then that's who he's is. there. He should take what who happened he to wants. Flynn? Because he was all he's excited out. about Flynn. He's out? I mean, not officially. I'm glad because uh, that, that, yeah, that was spooky. Nobody yeah. talked about what he really said. Because I see civil unrest coming, we need to have a law and order guy. In the administration. That, that's frightening. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's not the reason he's out. I mean, the, the reported reason, again, why he's out. You never know how these reports are in these situations. But the reported reason is he did such a bad job giving three, three different opinions on abortion within like two days 
Uh, that uh, sounds familiar. It does. Uh, um, the head of the ticket also did that. Yes, he did. But he's allowed, again, like this is his game. It's his bag. It's right. Trump's thing. And he's the one who's made all the decisions. He's the one that has got himself so far. He should pick the guy he's most comfortable with. And every report indicates that it's Chris Christie from that perspective. He likes Christie. The They've they're, worked. They're, they're the same person. Yeah. I mean, again, like even when we said this in the primary, if you I argued, if you want Donald Trump, you should go vote for Chris Christie. Yes, because Christie is a more under control, more legislatively competent version of Donald Trump. They're very similar in policy. Um, you know, I think Christie's more conservative, but generally speaking, they're pretty similar. They have the same sort of aggressive tone. Christie's pretty good at that. I mean, he, he there are moments you really like Christie in that. And it, why not go for it? Like the idea that you need to pick a swing state with someone like Trump, that's dead. Who cares about that? Hey, we want to talk to you about uh, last night's interview with the family on The Blaze. Pretty amazing. Also, the Day of Rage, which Anonymous is calling for tomorrow. Pretty ominous. Next. The Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Uh, let's uh, uh, let's move to, you know, it was quite amazing to hear the president last week uh, or earlier this week talk about the days of rage. Was it not that we are entering days of rage? Yeah. I mean, when I when I started talking about this again, everybody mocked me. And specifically saying that the summer of 2016 would be the days of rage. Uh, are is remarkable because now everybody's recognizing it. I'm praying, and we should all pray, that nothing happens in Cleveland next week. We are sitting on a powder keg, but pray that nothing happens in Cleveland, and, and Cleveland is safe, but the world could change next week, and then a week after in Philadelphia. Anonymous just came out with this piece of audio and video that you need to be aware of because they're calling for a day of rage tomorrow. Citizens of the world, we are anonymous. We must stress the importance of staying nonviolent. Your local 7-Eleven or Dollar Tree did not cause the deaths of these young men. We condemn every form of rioting. We are calling on a collective day of rage. A day of action centered around civil disobedience and the right to protest to police departments across the United States. We are not your enemy. However, it is in your hands, if you want us to stay that way or not. We will not be silenced, and we will not be intimidated. To the St. Anthony and the Baton Rouge Police Departments, we've already launched attacks on your virtual infrastructure. We are prepared to release every single piece of evidence that will expose your corruption and blatant disregard for human life. 
Once again, we are calling upon the citizens of the United States, in conjunction with the Black Lives Matter movement, as well as other civil rights activists, to participate in a day of action against the injustices of corrupt officers. On Friday, July 15th, we will all flood the streets at strategic locations in order to maximize our voice. The locations and times will be located in the description below. Tell your family. Tell your friends. We will change the world together. Our freedom depends on it. We are anonymous. We are legion. We do not forgive. We do not forget. On July 15th, expect us. Stop. I just want you to listen to what he's saying or what this computer is saying. Computer is saying, um, we don't want violence. We condemn violence. But we're calling for a day of rage. Now imagine if we would have had restoring rage. What would have been said? We were calling for peace in a day of rage. And it's up to you whether we're your enemy or not. The most important lines are right at the very end. And most people don't recognize this, but religious people should. We are legion. What is the reference of we are legion? What does that even mean? Most people won't even recognize it anymore. When Jesus drives the evil spirits out of the pig, and the pig... Out of the person, into the pig. Yeah, into the pig, and the pig runs over... Uh, over the uh, yeah, herd of pigs over the cliff. When the spirit speaks and goes into the pig, it says, "He says, who are you?" And he says, and the spirit says, "We are legion." That's evil. Then it's followed with, "We do not forget. We do not forgive." Well, we are commanded to forgive, not forget. But we are commanded to forgive. We are legion. We do not forgive. Day of rage tomorrow. There's a list of cities. Anybody have the list of cities? Uh, there's a list of cities. I think it's maybe in, these, in this stack someplace here. Um, Stu, if you want to get that while well, I... You have it. I'll just, uh... Can you just tweet? Can you just have somebody Facebook it for me? Sure. On my Facebook page. Uh, but you should be aware that's that's tomorrow. Set for thirty-seven cities. Wow. Yeah, here we go. Uh, uh, Phoenix, quick, Tucson, Little Rock, San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, Denver, Washington D.C., Atlanta, Tampa, Orlando, Miami, Chicago, Des Moines, New Orleans, Baltimore, Boston, Detroit, Lansing, Ann Arbor, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Carson City. Manhattan, uh, Newark, Durham, Columbus, Cleveland, Portland, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Memphis, Austin, Salt Lake City, Seattle, Milwaukee. Now these are, remember, Black Lives Matter is being financed by George Soros. Now, let me give you two other references. One, I went over this last hour in my new book, Liars, that comes out in August. It is about progressives and the lies, but it is how it, the, the first half is all about um, how did we get here and the truth on the progressive history that you're just not going to read. You're just not going to read. You're not going to find it in any textbook. And your kids need to read this before you start. If your kids are in high school and they are taking history, they need to know this history. 
They don't know anything really prior to 1900. Uh, and they need to understand where this disease came from and what it really is. And there's stuff in here that'll blow your mind. The second half is, why does it work on us? It's called liars because it's not just about the liars. The subtitle is, how progressives exploit our fears for control and power. And it is, how does this work? Why do we keep buying it over and over and over again? A city is destroyed and we're like, yeah, well, that just didn't work as well as it could have. We'll try it again. How does it work on us? In this, on page 264 and 5 and 6 and 7, it, there are three phases of this revolution plotted by the socialists and the communists that turned themselves into progressives. Remember, communism was too strong of a word. And so Lenin, because Lenin, when he was in the revolution of 1919, uh, or 1918 in uh, in Russia, they were afraid of the communists. And so he said, we're democratic socialists. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who came up with that, Lenin. And it has no different meaning than communist. And you, you know that because of the origin of the word came from Lenin. We're democratic socialists. So communists went to socialists, And socialists in America went to progressives. So the first phase of how to dismantle America is for the the progressives, turn of the century, organize the groups for control, infiltrate, weaken the social fabric, confuse the concept of right and wrong, and bring society near the brink of chaos. Now, I think all of that was done prior to 2008. We were on the brink of chaos where, you know, because of what's happening in the world, we're on the brink of collapse because of the economy. We're, we're there. Everything had been infiltrated at, at levels we never even suspected. Now, here is the second phase of the progressive plan. Allow chaos. Is that being allowed? It's being not only allowed, it's being encouraged. Enforce negative stereotypes. Cops are bad, banks are bad, blacks are bad, Hispanics are bad. Isolate, destroy, and discourage truth. Do you know what the truth is anymore? Do you even know how to find the truth anymore? Encourage reckless habits. You know what? I'll get to give you a free cell phone if you just get on to uh, food stamps and remain in the shadows. All of these things have been done. That's phase two. Phase three is violence. Now, this is not a new idea. I'm going to take you back to a book that I found from uh, 1791, the year we signed the Bill of Rights. Thomas Jefferson obviously didn't see this book. In fact, the guy who, who printed this in English had never seen it before, thought it was so important, thought it needed to cross the water into England so you could see the evil that was starting to spread in France. Now, they had just gone through our American Revolution, and they're like, another revolution is coming, and this one is evil. And so he found this book in French, and it was all over in the streets, and they translated it. Now, you tell me the difference between this and what the leadership of the Black Lives Matter movie, uh, movement is saying, of what the leadership of the Muslim Brotherhood, of what the leadership of Occupy Wall Street is saying. And what some of our movies are saying. 
Tell me the difference. Listen to this. Oh, civilized and corrupt nation, wherever you inhabit, it's not sufficient to admire the uh, problem from, a, uh, from afar. Um, drink deep of the cup of iniquity. Intoxicate yourself with the poison of destructive flatterers till the citizens, urged into the general distrust which open the shameless, uh, the, the, that, uh, which open uh, shamelessness, conceive no security but in the destruction of one another till the people discovering nothing respectable is left in the rich and the great insult molest and despoil them for their possessions till all of the orders of the state running headlong onto each other under the weight of every vice break asunder the bands of law and concord till in short there shall remain neither justice honesty, counsel, strength, or courage. At such a period, perhaps some barbarous or lately civilized uh, 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 corruption nation will defend sword in hand and implore their own laws and matters upon you. Such was the fate of the Roman Empire and of every other state when totally corrupted. They're saying, drink deep the iniquity. And destroy all of it. This is the same message being pushed today. Because this is the way revolutions happen. This is the way evil revolutions happen. Why do you think that every time there is a revolution, they go and they kill the store owners? Ever wonder? Why why were the... Why were the watchmakers killed in 1919? Because they had stores. They were business people. And business people were bad. Even the neighbors that you knew in the small towns, they were bad. Burn them out. Kill them. Despoil them. Because there's nothing good or respectable about them. We've never thought that it could happen here in America. I said earlier this week on Monday that I'm, I'm going down a road that I guess most people, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know anymore who you are. Um, and maybe you feel the same way about me, you don't know who I am. I don't know. I'm the same guy. I'm just running out of options. And I refuse to sell my values out. And I think you're the same person. And there's, a, there's, a very, few, there's very few things that I think will, can save us. And some of them are clay pots. I've been saying it for a while. Putting our history into our children, children and grandchildren. And making sure that they know what the truth is. Gathering our family together under faith and having faith in God. And then finding some sort of reconciliation and being the people of peace, the people of Gandhi, the people of Martin Luther King. And a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people were very upset at the interview that happened last night. Pat couldn't even watch it last night because he knew he was going to be angry at the parents of the shooter. I watched it and I was angry at the parents of the shooter. But we have to get past that. 
or we're going to go right down the road with everybody else, we just will be last through the door. We have to go another direction. And as I said earlier this week, if anybody else has a better idea, I'm open. I am open. I just can't see any other path. Now this, do you want a sold sign in front of your front yard? Finding the right real estate agent is key. If you want an agent that you can trust, you want an agent that has no secrets, not going to give you the runaround, somebody who actually cares about you, you know who the people are who listen to this program. You've vacationed a lot of times we've, when we've had these big events. You were standing in Restoring Honor um, in Washington, D.C. You know who those people are. Well, that's who these real estate agents are because we've hand-selected them. And it's taken us about two years before we even launched this nationally. We were doing testing with certain agents and trying to figure out who the right people are. And so we know these people. And they are, one of the first things, are you a fan of this show? And if you're a fan of this show, that's a good first step. Then we look into you to make sure that you're just not, this is not a list of people that get your name. Your name, if you want to sell your house in a certain area, our agent is given your name, and they, they call you back that fast. And you know they're good people. And you know you're going to sell your house for the, for the most amount of money and the fastest possible. I want you to call um, or talk to the people at realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Individually selected agents will work to earn your business Every single day, and they're going to put a sold sign in your front yard. Real estate agents, I trust.com. See thousands of artifacts from early America, World War II, pop culture, movie history, and more as Mercury Museum presents Liars or Liberty, August 5th through August 7th in Las Colinas, Texas. Visit slash liars or liberty for tickets and details. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Seven two seven back. This is the Glenn Beck program. Uh, we have Bishop Lowe coming up in a few minutes to talk about the interview uh, we did last night on TV with the with family. The family that Lawrence did, yeah, yeah. It was a fascinating interview. Yeah, if you miss it, but aggravating. Yeah, in a lot of places, really aggravating. So we will get to that interview coming up next. The Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the program. Glad you're here. Couple of things. The initial GOP convention speakers list revealed some surprise names, and some people are angry that one of the names on there is Donald is uh, Ted Cruz, well, also Donald Trump, but uh, Ted Cruz. We'll talk about that. Also, the Dallas shooter's last words 
to his mother. Did a special last night on The Blaze, an exclusive interview with the family, the only one they say they're ever going to do. It was fascinating to watch because you ran through a whole host of emotions. You felt for these parents. Your heart broke for these parents. Then you probably were angry at these parents. It was it was a jumble last night of emotions. We had a couple of people watch it for us to give us what they took out of it and how we should look at this. And we begin there and your phone calls right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. All right, I want to go to uh, Judy in Pennsylvania quickly. Uh, and uh, she watched the special last night. Judy, what did you think? Hi, Glenn. Um, my heart breaks for all of Dallas, but it also breaks for this family. I don't think they did anything wrong per se. I think they were typical parents. We all do what we think is right and raise our children, try, trying to love other people as the little children of God that they are. At least that's what I've always told my child. And when things go horribly wrong, we're left standing going, what the, how did I miss that? How could I have made it better? How could I have prevented this? I watched this with my 17-year-old son, And I think he couldn't understand my reaction to them because I know his back went up in certain spots because he knows certain things I would not accept out of him. But I kept trying to explain to him, like on on the gun control issue they brought up, these are people who obviously don't know anything about guns because patently what they were saying about the automatic weapons was wrong, just factually wrong. But... It was it was very interesting because they have weapons, and yeah, she admitted or they, at least she claimed to. The yeah, one. And she admitted that I have a gun, but I don't really know how to use it, and 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 she's just against these um, these assault rifles. Um, although her son didn't use a, a quote unquote assault rifle, it right. was a regular wood stocked rifle, which most assault rifles are. They just look scarier, right? Exactly. Um, and she she. I, I didn't. It was really a confusing thing. Judy, thank you for your perspective. Uh, let me go to uh, Bishop Jim Lowe. Um, uh, Bishop Lowe is the uh, is the, just the the powerhouse in Birmingham, Alabama, where we went last summer, uh, and we become good friends. And I I called him this week and said, Bishop, please watch this um, from the eyes of a of a black man and somebody who has seen injustice firsthand. And tell me what we're supposed to get from this. Bishop, welcome to the program. How are you? Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm very good. What did you think last night? What We went through a full range of emotions. Well, you know, I, I, I could feel for what the parents were saying. They were not guilty of any crime. Yes. And it, it appears as though they sought to raise their son in a proper home. It appears to me they were Christians. It was appearing to me that the... Uh, 
they tried to raise him up on the right way. The father said that he told his son that the police were the authority. Sometimes the authority is wrong, and sometimes that, uh, and you still have to submit to the authority. I believe they did what every parent would do for their child. Unfortunately, what I think happened is that there was some poison that got into the mind of Micah, and that poison could not be uh, removed by what he saw that was going on around him, and that's what caused him to break. I could not, even when I heard you guys say, well, you had some issues with the parents. I would like to understand what issues could we have and what did they do that was... Oh, no, 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 no. No, I didn't have issues with the parents as far as... I, I'm not going to judge them. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, good parents can have children that go horribly awry. Um, so I didn't have, I didn't, I don't think that they played a role in this at all. I had, I had problems with their, with their issues of gun control and things like that, but not as a parent. Well, you, you know, know what, what I mean. What I believe, Glenn, is that we have too much <laughs> misinformation that's out there, and we don't have enough of the truth. One of the things that Micah said, uh, that she said, Micah didn't like people to lie to him. I believe this was a patriotic young man who believed in America. He wanted to be a policeman. He wanted to uh, uh, be in the Army. He wanted to serve his country. But then the poison, all the vitriol that goes on in the world today, as if there's some force that's motivating everybody to turn against one another, it appears as though he saw the hypocrisy, and that's what broke him. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's what broke him. I don't know that's what led him on this new path. I'm still convinced that he had a um, uh, uh, either a, a, a Black Panther connection, where we have pictures of him with the Black Panthers, or Nation of Islam connection. I, there was something that helped him get on this path. Um, but I, I do agree that I think the first step was disillusionment. I, I think this is kind of like the Bubba effect, to where... He knew the system was fixed and broken, uh, and and it, it, we we don't we, we we don't stand we we aren't what we say we stand for. And he saw the hypocrisy and then wanted nothing to do with it and was disgusted and then started to search for new answers. And unfortunately, just like ISIS, there are a lot of people out there that will provide you answers that are not necessarily good answers. Well, Glenn, as a pastor. I must strongly state, the only answer is the Word of God. The only answer comes from the words of Christ when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The only answer is that we turn back to the Word of God. And I hear no one speaking strongly and loudly of that answer from the public and what's there. And I think that's where our pastors and our pulpits must rally together, because if we don't bring back Christ, if we don't bring back God, then we're seeing more. This is just a precursor of what's going to go on. You Mm. see, Black Lives Matter and all these other people that are rallying up against what they see as injustice, there will always be injustice until we learn how to love and respect one another. And that can only come from the teachings of Christ. There's no teachings of a human being. I think, Bishop, because I don't know if in Birmingham you can see this or if it's just because I've been looking for it. Um, so I don't know how it's being imaged around the rest of the country, but there's something different that is happening here in Dallas than Ferguson and, uh, yes. right? Do you see that in Birmingham? Yes. Do you see that here? Let me tell you what the difference is. These cultures that we saw in Charlotte when we went there, 
uh, uh, when we and, and Birmingham, all of these places that have a background of strong Bible teaching, yes. you don't see the riots, you don't see Correct. the anger that Correct. comes around like that. And that is because of the Word of God. But and as you move further north where that teaching is not, where it's, it's diminished by inspirational and motivational speeches, then you don't get the discipling of people, then we get the breakdown of society. Right. I think this is purely, what's coming our way is purely a breakdown of faith or a... a, a um, the fault of our churches, the, the, I do. um, you know, it's just, it's, it's the people of God, really, the ones who have said, uh, that they are there to, you know, hold up the light and everything else that have just massively failed. Because if you see it in other cities where, where you, again, you, you hit the nail on the head, Birmingham, Dallas, and, uh, South, was it North Carolina? Um, when they, when they were hit, all three have, responded differently and it's where there's a good good strong basis of faith we had i don't know if you saw this video um of can you play the audio of the um the encounter between the black lives matter protesters and the the typical what the media i mean the media couldn't have gotten out of central casting uh more you know redneck kind of looking hicks um they really, they couldn't, Hollywood, you wouldn't believe it if Hollywood would have staged this. There's these guys in the back of a pickup truck with all kinds of flags uh, and, you know, wearing, you know, uh, Confederate flag T-shirts, you know, the cowboy hats. Uh, They look like, you know, a group of guys that you don't necessarily want to meet, you know, in the back, uh, you know, of an alley at night. Uh, you know, especially if you're a person of color in the South, that's, that's, you just, you look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, I saw, <laughs> I saw deliverance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see on the other side of the street were um, Black Lives Matter protesters and they are chanting the usual, you know, no justice, no peace stuff. Somebody decides on both camps, we got to stop shouting at each other. Let's Absolutely. go meet each other. And two of them meet in the center. By the end, both groups have come together and they're in a circle of prayer, hugging each other, Mm -hmm. praying with the police officer. And the black, one of the most amazing pictures is two black arms from each side around the back of a guy who is wearing a Confederate flag T-shirt. And I thought, this is this is the answer. Nobody wants to hear it, but that's the answer. That's the only answer, Glenn. Only answer. Because, you see, all hatred does, and anger and violence is stir up more hatred, anger, and violence. The only thing that we don't try around here is the Word of God, which is love. He can said, you... love your enemies, and that's what we must learn to do. And, can... and, and let me tell you something else. I heard you say something the other day that you feel like maybe the white people need to come forward and say, we're sorry for what's going on. Let me tell you what also needs to happen. Black people need to come forward and say, we're willing to forgive what you did. Because it all begins with forgiveness. The do you think that, can I go a nation, step further? Can I go a step further? Go. Do you think African Americans need to step, because I need to say, I need to say, look, African Americans, I see what you've gone through. I can't relate to it. But I see what you have gone through through generations. I am sorry that, that people who look like me did those things. I'm mm-hmm. sorry that this, this, is, this has happened, but it, it wasn't me. And so, don't judge me on that. Let's come together. 
because I'll right. listen to you and and you know I'm not that guy. Um, you need but to do do, do, you, do you think that African Americans need to come up and say thank you for that and you know forgive us for yes people like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton yes. who have been race baiting us for so long and we're not them. Glenn, for your healing, you have to confess your wrongdoing. For my healing, I have to forgive you for what you have done. And healing will come to both. If we both, if you confess, isn't that what God said? If we confess, he forgives. In order for the world to be right, those that are offended must forgive. And those that have done the offense must confess. That is the absolute so, way that we come together. Help us out because uh, um, so many people um, don't understand what Martin Luther King talked about reconciliation. That pissed people off back in the 60s. It's pissing people off right now because they say, I didn't do anything. I had nothing to do with any of this. Explain uh, uh, reconciliation as Martin Luther King understood it. Explain why, why would I have to, why would I have to confess a sin I didn't commit? I don't believe in Adam's transgressions that I have to pay for Adam's transgressions. Why do I have to pay for the sins of my fathers who didn't do anything either? Glenn, I think the willingness to be able to admit that injustice is now. We do have injustice. We do have uh, things that are going wrong. And I think that's just the, that's the beginning of it. An acknowledgement that, yes, there is some racial bigotry that's still here. Yeah. And the acknowledgement of that and the willingness to root it out is what black people need to hear. That's what Black Lives Matter. We just want to hear when they make the statement, we just want to hear that you recognize that there are some bad cops out there. Okay? That's the recognition. You don't have to talk about what you did in the past, but what happened in the past is still the past. But more importantly, what we have to do is confront you with forgiveness, not confronting you better tell me something or do what what we want you to do. It's a two-fold street, and we both must stop looking to blame the other. I must accept that that I'm going to forgive you. I look inside of me, you look inside of you. Glenn, people said to me, how could I sit with an avowed racist when I talked with you? Well, it's because (laughs) we had to communicate in order to find reconciliation with one another. When you and I became at least friends to be able to communicate, we were reaching out to one another. And as a result, we found unity in the purposes of Christ. And when blacks and white reach out to each other to find unity in Christ, we can have a nation that comes together. When when we recognize that we have to have love, a love that forgives is a love that will heal the wounds of the anger that injustice makes us feel. And we've got to learn to forgive the past and love at last and and work for the good that's meant for our bad. We can do but that. We, we, we also, um, Bishop, what was important in our relationship is you um, did enough of your home, own homework of sitting down with me, etc., to know that what you heard about me being a racist was right. not true. 
And, you know, uh, so we, we, it is a two-way street. Bishop, and Glenn, the, you're not. And though I do still have people who have accused me of saying that, and, and I, I say, know. you don't know the man. But I also recognize one of the things we have that's a problem with going on today is that too many people are slanderizing others with information they don't know. And therefore, we mm. need to stop that because the Word of God says you should not say to a brother or to another person, thou fool, or you should not declare any names because as you insult, it puts you in danger of judgment. We must stop the name-calling, and that goes from our political candidates also. They must stop name-calling people when they disagree with principles that others have set up, right or wrong. We must respect the dignity of every human being, and that begins with the words that come out of our mouth, because the words that we speak begin to become actions that we take. Back in a minute. Um, Bishop, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again. Now this... With faith and family and preparedness, we can survive anything. You were mentally prepared for this summer. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you were mentally prepared for this summer. This has not come as a surprise to you. Now, if, you are, um, if you've been listening to this show and you've done more than mentally prepare, you feel even better. You know a summer of rage is coming, whether it starts tomorrow or next week or the week after, or it doesn't happen uh, Praise God if it doesn't happen, but you'll be prepared. And if there is some disruption in something, you'll be prepared. The year before Katrina hit New Orleans, I said the most dangerous city in America, and everybody had made the top 10 list, and everybody thought I was going to make it some terror. It was going to be New York City because of terror. So the most dangerous city is New Orleans, and because of the levees. They've never spent the money to fix the levees. And that is a disaster waiting to happen. A year almost to the day that city was underwater because of the levees. So being prepared, knowing about something, and then doing something helps you. Be prepared to take care of your family no matter what happens. My Patriot Supply now has a four-week food supply for only $99. That's unheard of. And you can get two of these. That's 54% off the regular price. You're saving $119 or $18. Um, and you can do it right now at preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. Or call 800-200-7163. This is for 100 bucks. You have a month's worth of food for one person. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Everything you need. For $200, you have it for two people. Or, you know, a family of four for two weeks. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get any better than this. $99. Do it right now. Prepare. 800-200-7163. 800-200-7163. Or preparewithglenn.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. is the Glenn Beck Program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Next week, the GOP convention. We'll have coverage of that in all of its glory. Uh, All next week, you don't want to miss that. In fact, tomorrow we should get Mike Leon, who is part of the Rules Committee. 
um, to see what they're finally going to do. That that's today and tomorrow they're deciding, right? Yeah. Um, they're they're they're. It looks like they're going to actually. Looks like it, it, compromise I mean, is coming. As we've talked about many times, the never Trump free the delegates thing. I don't think is going to happen. Over. It looks like it's over, but we'll see. Probably by the end of the day, honestly. Okay, so we'll try to try to get Mike Leon, who is there at the table negotiating that. We'll talk to him tomorrow. And what does it mean for the convention next week? What's going to happen? And Donald Trump's nominee for vice president on tomorrow's program. Don't miss it. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Dr. Keith Ablo is with me. He co-authored the book, The Seven, which is probably one of the more important books that I've, I've uh, read. I, I, Keith, I was in uh, maybe California just recently, uh, and somebody came up to me and said, I read your book, and I said, thank you. And I didn't know what book they were talking about. And they said, it changed my life. And I said, mm. the se- I said it was the seven. They said, changed my life. And then I gave it to my son, whose whole life was a wreck and changed his and brought our family together. I mean, ah, really, I love really, really that, cool. Buddy. Yeah. And I hear it, too. You know, and I give it out to patients. And, uh, you know, you never know what turns the key. But many of them have said that book was tremendously important to me. And they keep it. They keep reading it. They read it again and again, in fact. So I'm uh, proud to have uh, taken that journey with you. Yeah, me too. Uh, so, Keith, you watched the um, special that we did last night with the family of the shooter here in Dallas. I did. And um, I want to talk to you about a couple of things. One, the uh, uh, there's a lot of pushback. Now, not as much. Yesterday, reading the social media, it, it was really interesting because once people actually started to connect with these people, they disagreed with a lot of stuff they said, but they had great empathy for them. Um, but I was shocked at the beginning of the week when people found out that we had done this interview, which we didn't ask for. They asked us to be the people that brought the news to America. Um, how many people were like, I don't care about this family. This family is a dirtbag. You know, the, he killed the cops. And we, how far we are away from those Amish people who had their children butchered, and that afternoon they went to the family of the shooter and said, we want to comfort you. Right, and and they invited the family to the funerals of the victims. And uh, there's great power in that. There's great wisdom in it. And, you know, I don't understand how anybody could say, well, we don't want to hear from these people uh, it's as though they are, you know, pariahs. Uh, I guess you don't. Number, is, you, know, you want to learn from them for one thing. But is it possible that people are so we're so tired of, for instance, I heard them last night. They talked about the Second Amendment and they're supposedly gun owners. They believe in guns. They say they own them, but I, I, they don't know anything about them. Um, and 
but then they went on this rant that there has to be gun control. And so is it possible that people don't want to hear them because they think this is just going to be used as propaganda for someone's agenda? Well, you know, I think that people may not want to hear them because they've heard so much in the way of propaganda from the president that there is this terrible racial divide that the police can't be trusted. Uh, going back to uh, what was it, Professor Gates back in Cambridge. Remember, the yep, president yep. of the United States from the Oval Office is calling out a Cambridge police officer who was just doing his job who thought that there was somebody breaking into a house in Cambridge. Turns out it's the owner, and it's a black fellow. I don't think that was, uh, you know, that led to the beer summit where Obama seemingly kind of apologized, but then continued to sow the seeds of unrest. And we, I think we believe that the, we believe that was hear that. Yeah, we believe that was the shot heard around the world. Uh, and that is directly res- uh, the, the direct line from the Dallas shootings and all these all these riots goes right back to that moment. One of the other things is they almost for me, they almost created the perception that they were excusing what he did. Uh, Lawrence asked, Lawrence asked, well, you believe what he did was wrong, right? And the mother said, I I believe believe he was doing what he felt was right. I don't want to hear that. I I don't, I don't want to hear that. I I don't care if he felt it was right. It was clearly so unbelievably wrong. What'd you say? I'm a listener. And so, you know, I want to hear it all. But what I heard there uh, would disappoint me and and probably is important. Maybe one of the more important things people could hear from this is that this woman, you know, who's lost her son, who knows that her son killed five police officers, has been sold such a bill of goods by this administration that she actually thinks, seemingly, that he was like a warrior for a belief system. Yeah. Well, and she didn't say, no, my son's delusional. He was insane. In fact, fact, she fought against at one point in the interview. She said, how dare the media say that he's deranged or delusional? Uh, I mean, if my son just killed five people, um, you know, in the streets, I don't care. Black, white police officers, not police officers. My son was emotionally disturbed. That's the only explanation for that. She actually went further and said he's not. Right. That's where we differ from the Amish as well. The Amish would say of the shooter, this isn't evil. This is a broken person who's psychiatrically ill, who's spiritually and psychiatrically ill. She won't allow that. Why? And that's perhaps why people are like, look, we don't want to hear this, because really what we have is an uncritical audience for the president and attorney, ex-attorney general Holder's claim that uh, police officers and white police officers in particular have it in for the black community and this terrible, you know, murderous venom from police officers toward the black community, which I don't believe. But these people, interestingly enough, they do. And not only do they believe it, they think apparently that it largely justifies, largely justifies what their son did. So, Keith, I said earlier this week, um, I started talking about reconcil- uh, you know, racial reconciliation. 
And we got to stop looking to win and beat somebody's argument. We just have to start looking for reconciliation. So there are no losers here in this because we're just dividing ourselves way too far mm-hmm. or allowing ourselves to be divided. Um, and, you know, it's just the best answer I can come up with. If somebody has a better answer, um, gosh, let me know. But if, if, wouldn't it be horrible if the easiest thing we could do, which is listen and say, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I'm sorry that people that look like me did that to you. If that's the beginning of the solution, how stupid and foolish would it be for us not to give that a try? Um, I have said listening is so important, listening to the other side, because I know what my wife goes through. And I know what I went through when I said to my wife the first time, I know what you're going to say when she said, you're not listening to me. And I'm like, I know what you're going to say. Oh, my gosh, was that a bad idea? Um, just what I learned was just the act of really listening and hearing her all the way out changes the dynamics. Uh, listen, I, I totally listen. I said, listen, I totally agree that listening is the way out. I would also, however, and this is odd for a psychiatrist to say, perhaps I also would say there are certain things that are facts and when, and, and truths. And we don't need to listen to untruths uncritically. And, you know, I the interviewer was an uncritical listener, uh, a passive listener. He didn't say, now, wait a second. It sounds as though you were saying there was valor in what your son did. Do you believe it was uh, an act of valor? Um, so the bottom line is what the president has said about police officers in general is a lie intended to divide people. We don't need really to uncritically listen to folks who were sold that delusion. We need to say that is not true. And let's, let's hear about why you've been a receptive audience for that lie, but we're not going to let you shoot officers. And if you're the mother of a man who killed five officers and you sound like a lunatic, I'm going to say, gee, you know, maybe I'm not that shocked at, at this having been the growing place for such a fellow. Because you sound, frankly, off yourself, man. I, every time I talk to you, I'm fascinated by you because you're not one of these guys that's full of gobbledygook. Um, and you have, from the very beginning, I think I saw you on the Today Show um, talking about maybe Anna Nicole Smith. Is that how we became friends? You I think so, and then I came on your show, yeah. and uh, and you so, you know, you ripped your chest open. Normally I ask people, hey, tell me what you've been through. I just, you know, and we had one of those discussions. I usually feel like, man, I'm going to have to have a go at this five different approaches to get one true fact out of this TV guy. And, you know, you rip your chest open. You're like, look, let me tell you about my life. I was like, whoa. Yeah, until you finally had to say, okay, shut up. I got it. <laughs> uh, but but I remember, I remember the reason why I was intrigued, because you were on, uh, on NBC's uh, Today Show all the time, and you were talking about alcoholism the way I do, uh, of, of, you know, hey, um, you got to choose. <laughs> you know, you can't save people. You got to choose. It's up to you. And you've always been a very uh, big common sense, take responsibility. So it's good to know Thanks, you, Keith. Man. You, um, you know, I had a patient in my office uh, recently, a great carpenter, 
not doing his work. Great wood wood make, you know, uh, great guy with furniture with everything. Cocaine addict, right? And I said, listen, ultimately you're either gonna be doing lines of coke or you're going to be at your art and craft. But you have to choose. And he sent me a photo with his iPhone of three lines of sawdust on a bandsaw right beside. He said, I've made my choice. Excellent. Loved it. Wow. Snorting snorting sawdust. He might sue you for that. Uh, (laughs) Don't try that at home. Yeah, good to talk to you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, By the way, Dr. Keith Abloh. And you can find uh, the book that we wrote together. That is a change, really, truly a change your life book called The Seven. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or, or wherever. In 2008, Lehman Brothers, now listen to this, Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers was the one that caused everything. Bear Stearns and then Lehman. When that happened, it was over for our economy. Lehman Brothers had a capital ratio of less than 3% of its assets. So in other words, it had all these things, but it 3%... Uh, of capital on hand. So if something went wrong, they only had 3% of everything that they owned and, 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 uh, uh, and owed. So when the value of the assets fell more than 3%, the bank was over. Right now, Deutsche Bank has a capital level of less than 3%, like Lehman, and a risky asset base of derivatives, the exposure... Ready? The exposure is $70 trillion in derivatives of this one bank. That is just about 5 to $7 trillion over the global GDP. All the money in the world. That's what they're exposed. And they are less than 3% of their capital um, for their assets. Lehman Brothers, it's coming. It's coming, and it's going to happen in Europe, and it is going to... When Deutsche Bank falls, it all falls. Europe falls. Everything falls. So there you go. We're at the brink. Now what are you going to do about it? May I suggest that none of the banks have gold in their vaults anymore. Uh, Nobody believes in the gold standard anymore. That's okay. We've done that over and over and over again in world history. Uh, Just Google today uh, the... um, Tulip, uh, what was it? The, uh, could you Google? The, the, look for the, the, uh, the, the tulip rush uh, and what people were doing in Holland. I think it was in the 1600s where a tulip bulb became money. And they thought this is going to be great. And so they were, they were buying houses with a bulb, a tulip bulb. That's how crazy it became. Uh, that ended. Uh, pretty quickly, and uh, they realized, wow, tulip bulbs are not good um, for money. Not uh, good currency? Not good currency. But you know what? A year after that currency crashed, you still had flowers. Um, after this currency crashes, you still have bad paper. I guess you could use it for toilet paper. Buy with confidence. Get yourself back on the gold standard. Check out Goldline's price guarantee programs. Ask them about their new bullion product, the Legal Tender Unit. Uh, and their important risk information. Call 866-465-3546. It's 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. At our most basic level, we are all afraid of something. Progressives exploit these fears by offering us solutions based on lies and a hunger for power and control. 
Get the Truth with Liars, a new book by Glenn Beck, available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. Mercury. So I get a call from the ranch last night, and we have a problem because we had to artificially inseminate a lot of our, our cows um, because the bull wasn't doing his job, and that's his only job. Walk around and have sex whenever you want it. There's 50 of them here. Just whatever you want, whichever one you want. Have at it, boy. It's a good life. Right. So, yeah, But he wouldn't. That's his job, and he wouldn't. Okay. He did a couple, you know, I was like, eh, <sighs> you know, so we thought, okay, he must be getting tired. He must be getting old. He's, I don't know. Got a call last night. <laughs> the neighbor down the street, their bull jumped their fence going down the street and jumps my fence in with my bull. Oh, that's a problem. Cause you only have one cause they kill each other, They'll kill each other. You don't, you don't put, there's one bull per farm. Okay. They've become very close. The two bulls? And they are enjoying each other's company. They're making it? And I believe he said, I said, they're gay bulls? And he said, I don't know if they're going with the times or what. He said, I've never seen, in all my years of doing it, I've never seen this before. He said, but yes, they're in. I, and I don't know. Can I be sued if I have to get rid of this bull and fire him because he's gay? Because he's not doing his job? Or <laughs> Wow. Do I, do I have to? I mean, I don't know what. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard of that before. I mean, you find love where it is. That's right. That's right. I love where Unfortunately, it is. I need you to do the other job because I need to eat your children. <laughs> Wait. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.